Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Trino Community Broadcast. I'm joined, my name is Cole Bowden, I'm joined by Manfred Moser, as always, and we've decided this week to take a little bit of a step back, make it a little more casual, and, and go over something a little more basic, high level, and overview of simply what is Trino. Anyway, Manfred, how are you doing today? Good, good. I'm super excited because, A, lots of people don't know what Trino is, so we can share that with them, and also... Um, completely honestly here, um, we've been super deep into organizing everything for Trino Fest and there's a like very exciting lineup. So um, we didn't want to spoil any surprises for the event then by having a Trino community broadcast episode now. So um, let's have a lot of that kind of introductory today and then a Trino Fest in, can you believe it, two weeks. There's going to be a lot of cool stuff happening. Yeah, so if you're a Trino veteran, Trino Fest is the event for you where there's going to be talks about new connectors, new clients, use cases, everything there is to know about Trino. If you're new to Trino or you're unfamiliar with it, or maybe you're looking at this video on YouTube sometime in the future because you're just curious, what is Trino? Let us, the Trino Developer Relations team, talk to you about that. Um, this episode's going to meander a little bit. We have to start off, as always, by going over recent Trino releases. That's part of our recap. But if you're just interested in knowing, skip ahead and we'll, we'll get to all of the important details and that overview of what Trino is, how you can run it, how you can contribute to it. But starting off, we've had two releases since the last Trino Community Broadcast episode. 419 is unfortunately a little delayed. So we we'd normally have three right now, but we've hit a snag there. Um, so in 417, we had faster union all queries. I'm realizing right now that this all is not inside brackets. <laughs> uh, we've improved processing of Parquet data in our data lake connectors. Um, and we've added faster reads for nested row fields in Delta Lake. Um, in 4.18, there's support for execute immediate. Um, that's basically a shorthand way to execute a statement without needing to prepare and deallocate prepare, um, which is useful for some situations where you're running the same query repeatedly. Um, we added the table changes function in the Delta Lake connector. Um, there are faster joins on partition columns in all of our data lake connectors. And we added support for fault tolerant execution in Oracle. So now you can write data when running in fault tolerant mode if that data is being written to Oracle. That's and awesome how, how, how we can see that the like fault tolerant execution is slowly bubbling up and like spreading to all the connectors and you can like more and more run an FTE cluster and really have even the like distributed queries and federation and everything happening on those clusters, which is great. Yeah, it's it's fun to see it growing into the kind of core part of Trino that it already is. I think the funniest thing to me was on, on Slack the other day, we had someone who was just using fault tolerant execution mode for everything. And they were asking for help because for a change they tried it in normal mode and they're like wait why is it faster like this <laughs> well <laughs> there's a trade-off here it's yeah 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 that's also out. like uh, there was another interesting discussion on slack where some user um who is stuck on like full-on real hdfs usage so the whole hadoop file system and the folder execution has 
like four different exchange manager kind of backend storages. And the HDFS one happens to be the one that's the least tested and the slowest one. And that user ended up with all those problems that we had from testing and running that in. So um, if you're using that, do yourself a favor and don't use HDFS for the, <laughs> for the exchange server storage. Um, but we're also working on improving that, obviously. So there's always uh, more and exciting things happening. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, this execute immediate um, is very, very um, urgently bubbling into the Trino Python client from what I can tell, because there is some sort of like the clients are benefiting a lot from this uh, execute immediately, uh, immediate. <laughs> it's, it's grammatically wrong, but it's the SQL standard is execute immediate. <laughs> um, so they are avoiding a lot of connections and like, as you said, the prepare statement and that has a seemingly a pretty big impact on performance for, for Python clients, interestingly. I actually didn't under, know that context. I hadn't, I hadn't read that deep into it when I saw it pop up, but that's always exciting. And uh, we'll hear more about that in a little bit, but for now, let's move on to that high level overview that we promised. Uh, yeah. What is Trino, Manfred? What is Trino? Well, we have a real quick. <laughs> well, I set up my slideshow. <laughs> we have a slide deck or a presentation deck that we've prepared for everyone to use that wants to talk to that in their brown bag sessions or you know, a lunch and learn at your company. This slide deck is available on our GitHub repository, and we're gonna just like cover it on the high level a little bit. Um, we also add more there, things like running Trino in different ways. I'll show you a demo later. And there's also some about SQL. And we're going to build that up even more over time. Um, and anyone that wants to use those resources, like the logos and stuff, please feel free. You find them on GitHub and in the show notes. Then later, there'll be links to it all. But yeah, now, so if... let's let's get to that question, Cole. What is Trino? So we start by establishing Trino is ludicrously fast. This was always its design. Um, it was founded at Facebook in order to process data, not on the scope of days, but on the scope of hours to minutes to seconds. Um, so, so, so I would say it, it started as not avoiding to be dead slow. <laughs> yeah, it was it, Hive queries at Facebook would literally take 24 plus hours. And Trino was like, well, what if we made that minutes or seconds? So sometimes hours for the really big queries. But I think that's normally shorter unless you're working on just like eggs of byte scale. But the key to Trino is that it is an open source distributed SQL query engine. So open source, meaning anyone can go look at the code, anyone can contribute. It is out there in the world. Um, we build a Trino for the good of the technical community at large, and the technical community at large contributes back to make Trino as good as it can possibly be. Open source makes it collaborative. It makes it reliable. It means that there's no way to get locked into it or get stuck on it. There's no one selling Trino specifically, it will always be open. So you can always rely on that open source community. And, and then that community is very large. There's very many big, big companies benefiting from that. And there's also obviously vendors that use that to build their platforms. And that's good, right? Like we're all working together to make it even better for everyone. And that's really awesome. And then SQL Query Engine, I would have included the word distributed here, but we'll get to that. Uh, it runs queries. You write a query in SQL, you give them to Trino. And then Trino executes that query on a really wide variety of data sources. Um, that could include traditional relational databases, 
something like Oracle or MySQL or PostgreSQL. Uh, it can do that on data lakes like Hootie or Delta Lake or Iceberg or Hive. And it can do that on some non-traditional NoSQL databases even. So Cassandra or MongoDB. Um, so you write a SQL query, Trino processes it, translates it, runs it on that underlying data source. Even if the data source isn't SQL itself, Trino can run that query, give you a result that you would expect from your SQL query. Yeah, that's always very surprising to see, right? Like um, uh, you run a SQL query on a platform like Elasticsearch or MongoDB that doesn't even have SQL support. So it's kind of very surprising how that works. And and just jumping back, um, we've been talking about this SQL thing all the time. What What is that even, Cole? Uh, you want me to explain what SQL is? I think it stands for Structured Query Language. Oh yeah. I think I'm I think I'm passing the uh, the acronym check there. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I would hope if you're looking at Trino, you probably have some idea of what SQL is. Maybe you don't. In which case, welcome to the world of data science, querying, understanding things. SQL or SQL is the language you use to query tables. Um, it is the industry standard. There are not many other query languages that have a ton of traction. That they exist. Like Elasticsearch has its own fun little query language, but that's kind of its own its own world. Um, there's a standard SQL syntax uh, defined by ANSI, the International Standards Organization, um, and for the American Standards Organization, not the international. One. ISO is the same. Like yeah, the standard I, is the same. ISO. I will ANSI. never get ANSI and ISO not confused. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and almost every database supports SQL in some way. Um, the dialects are always a little different. There's like different keywords here and there for most places. Trino tries its best to be standard SQL syntax, the most generic, the one that will usually work everywhere. Um, not everyone implements every single feature of the SQL specification. So sometimes there's new things here that aren't present elsewhere and Sometimes there's non-standard syntax added to things, but at its core, if you want to know what SQL is, there are a billion tutorials out there on the internet. Um, when I was a software engineer for a couple of years, I just went to the a couple of different websites. Every time I wanted to go query something, I'd go Google, <laughs> like, how do I write this thing again? And there's so many useful resources out there. If you want to learn it, it's great. But Trino runs on top of that because that is how the world works. Exactly. Very good. Open source. We talked about this a little bit. You want to run with this a little more, Manfred? Dive into a little um, more There's details. not much more to say. Specifically, it's Apache license, so it's very commercial friendly, so companies can use it. You can use it. Or you can change it anywhere you want, and you can give your changes back or not, whatever you want. We are basically open for business with anyone that wants to help us, and lots of people do, and we want always more, and we'll talk about that later as well, um, how you can potentially help us. It's not that hard, actually. <laughs> Ah, here's our slide on what SQL is a little bit here. Oh. Well. Yeah, so so you see a bit of like SQL right there, right? Um, the typical select statement, which just gets you data in a table format or a subset of data, and then the from. Um, and this, this is a query that gets data out, but SQL is also much more powerful. So it can also like write data, change data, and do very, very complex analytics. And uh, Jan is also chiming in nicely here, saying that uh, modernsql.com is a great reference. I second that. I also want to say, and the Trino documentation has the SQL <laughs> language statements and everything that actually work with Trino. And later we'll show you how you can use that. 
And by the way, also, uh, thanks for reaching out, Jan. He is going to be presenting at Trino Fest if you want to learn more from Jan. So that's awesome. <laughs> so one of the important things to highlight, and it's, it's actually funny if you read the Trino documentation, the very first thing that we say about <laughs> what Trino is, is we start by saying Trino isn't a database, um, which has been a source of confusion for some people. You think, okay, well, I run queries on it, so it must be a database, but that is untrue. It's not a database. There is no data in Trino itself. What Trino does is query underlying databases. So in order to set up and run Trino, you start with data stored somewhere, and then you layer Trino on top of that data to run queries very quickly. And then if you have multiple data sources, you can connect Trino to all of them and run queries on all of them at once with that same SQL syntax, which is query federation. So that's why it's a query engine, is it, is it executes queries on whatever data sources you have, but it does not store any data on its own. You're going to need a different storage engine uh, if you trust the diagram on the right here. Um, so it does write data. So the, the confusion can be, if you're an end user of Trino or like a data scientist or a data analyst, Trino can abstract away kind of that underlying storage and just provide a unified interface both for reading and writing data. Um, so a data analyst might not have any idea what database you're using if you set it up right and give them the Trino interface. They read everything they want through Trino, they write everything they want through Trino. And to them, Trino will look like a database, but it's a layer sitting on top of your database to run queries very fast. Yeah, and I think that's also a very important uh, and useful point that sometimes people oversee because there, there is a plural in there, databases. So you're not locked into um, just having one database, like only Postgres because it's good at this or like Elasticsearch because it's good at something else or a streaming system or, or like a real-time analytics systems. All of these different databases are good at different things. And so most companies will end up using multiple of them. And then they're always like, now what? We have all this data in all these different databases, but we need to have analytics done on what's in all the different databases at the same time. That's where Trino comes in play very often because it can query all those different databases at the same time in one system without you having to go, well, let's get that data out of this database and put it in this other database. And then from that other third database also in the fourth, and then you have this chain of craziness. Trino avoids all that. Yep. So that's really nice and super powerful. The more you use it, the more you're like, I can't live without this anymore. So hopefully you get to enjoy that soon with your Trino usage. Oh, we have a... A second diagram that I missed. I should have clicked on that at some point. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Um, this this is the elephant uh, from uh, Postgres and the leaf from MongoDB that you see there, which are two choices of databases that Trino supports. And there's a lot more. If you look at the documentation and connectors, we mentioned the object storage ones, and there's many, many more. Yep. And so the benefits of Trino in particular, you know, like if you have Postgres, you can just run a SQL query on Postgres. The dialect of the SQL is a little bit different, but you can just run that query. But Trino works well because A, it runs fast, and B, it runs on different data sources with a unified syntax. So with all of that said, we can expand to say it is a 
engine designed to query disparate data sources. Um, so we've, we've talked about this a little bit, but the way that this works is that in the Trino code, there are connectors. So a connector allows the Trino engine to then query that underlying data source. We are adding new connectors with a relatively decent cadence. Um, I think 2022 saw three new connectors get added. It was Delta Lake, uh, Ignite. And Hootie. Think, yeah, and Hootie as well. Um, 2023 has at least one coming very soon. Um, which, again, if you want to tune into Trino Fest, there's going to be a talk about it. Um, as well as a kind of half connector in Nessie, which we'll be talking about later this episode. Yeah, I also see there's an open PR for a system called Exasol. Who knows? That man might let too. But yeah, so the joy of it being A, open source, and B, with this connector-based architecture, is if you have a data source as a user that isn't already a connector in Trino, you can go make that connector and contribute it, add it in, and run Trino on your data source with just, you know, I think it's usually connectors end up being about 2,000 lines of code. So they're not like these massive monoliths of colossal architecture. It could be more depending on how different it is from other connectors and how much code can be reused. But that is the general idea. So we can finalize our definition. We finally got the word distributed in there. Yeah. <laughs> so our, our formal definition of Trino is that Trino is a ludicrously fast, open source, distributed, massively parallel processing SQL query engine designed to query large data sets for one or more disparate data sources. And Manfred, when we say large, large is a bit of a subjective word, you know, like is a gigabyte large? Is a terabyte Gigab large? A, a gigabyte database is also considered a tiny, tiny database. Yeah. So... Walk us through this. <laughs> yeah, if you if if you can run it on your on your laptop, even if it's a very beefy gaming laptop, it's a small data source. <laughs> like it's very small. Like large data sets are petabytes and more, like at least multiple terabytes, um, and often over multiple data sources. Um, those sizes are very common. Uh, because a lot of transactional systems and like with the explosion of data capture everywhere. And like, you know, website traffic going uh, in like really insane amounts or shopping carts, millions of customers. A lot of these kind of large systems um, get to the petabyte scale pretty quickly. If you look at the Trino users from like past talks, they're all in that sort of realm. But even for smaller sizes, it's totally also suitable because it unlocks the different sizes, right? And the main part also is that these large data sources can still be queried very fast. And that gets us to the next thing, which is the massively parallel processing aspect. Yeah, and I, I think Trio runs in exabyte scale in, in some few instances yeah. for the largest companies out there. Um, you got to have a lot of data to get to exabytes, but petabytes is, is pretty normal for Trino. So it yeah. scales pretty well. If you have a lot of data, you can query it with Trino and it'll query it fast. Yeah, like you see, if you if you're in working at any company, you can rest assured that your data will not be too much because literally, like all the big companies in Silicon Valley with huge data sets are all successfully using Trino in one way or another. So, 
you the likelihood that you get into those band those levels of data is not that high, right? And you can also see on our website uh, and the users page to get a reference and idea of who's using Trino, apart from speakers at conferences and stuff like that. So our last little bit of explanation about Trino here is getting just a little bit into the architecture of how it is parallel processing. So the, the core architecture of Trino is that there is a cluster will have a singular coordinator node that handles the orchestration and organizing of all of the tasks. And then it assigns and orchestrates a ton of different worker nodes, which then go process data and carry out those tasks in order to complete the query. So the workers divide and conquer, um, and then they report back to the coordinator, which in turn reports back to the client. So it uh, kind of works that way in order to be simple, reliable. Um, it is not a super complex architecture doing a billion different things, um, which makes it both easier to write code for, easier to improve, easier to maintain, and less prone to errors. Um, Anything you have to add to that, Manfred? Yeah, um, when when you said a ton of server, that's a funny quote in a way because a ton obviously means a thousand kilo, and literally that's sometimes the case, right? Like there is clusters that people have in production. Some like a typical starting size is like maybe four, maybe ten, twelve workers or so. But there is many production clusters there in the hundreds, and there's definitely also some that in the thousands of servers. And the reason that that makes sense and is useful is because typically the data that Trino queries from, it's like Hive, Hive data or Iceberg or so, is also distributed onto multiple servers. So the individual workers uh, on the Trino side can talk to individual separate storage servers and everything gets paralyzed. So instead of doing things sequentially one after the other, it paralyzes and that's why it's called massively parallel processing. So these individual workers, they get the data, then they massage it, and then they collaborate to do any analysis of it. Like if there's aggregations to be done or so, then they do all that. And then the coordinator just gives it back to your client tool. So you get you can see the results. Yeah, and so you usually only need one Trino cluster. There are users that will spin up multiple Trino clusters for different user groups or different cases. Um, Trino kind of has this thing where when not in fault tolerant mode, it, it likes to use all of the resources you give it. Um, so sometimes it's good to have different clusters at different scales. Um, so that for shorter, quicker ad hoc queries, you have a smaller cluster and for like the bigger, longer running queries, you might have a larger cluster and separating those two out can make sure that the huge queries don't get in the way of the small queries, but there's also some solutions to that problem that don't involve multiple clusters, including a uh, load balancer, which is external to this and probably the topic of another episode sometime. But so lots of different ways to solve the same problems. They're all good. Yeah. And as you see later in our demo, um, it's not that hard to get Trino up and running initially. And then we have support for running a whole cluster and that kind of stuff as well. So we've we've talked about this already. We jumped the gun. I think we forgot that this slide existed. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, I think it's massively parallel processing. We mentioned already one thing that we did not talk about, and that's also important: is Trino is written in Java, runs on Java seventeen, and the individual worker nodes are supposed to be bigish, <laughs> like you know, thirty-two gig or more uh, RAM, 
and they're going to use that whole RAM. So Trino is not only parallel in the sense that it um, does parallel processing across the workers. In each worker itself, the Java virtual machine also has lots of processes and uses all the memory you give it. So you, And you give it nearly all the memory of the machine. So those like whatever, you give it 30 gigs on a 32 gig machine or something. So it can parallelize its processing uh, internally as well, because what you have to keep in mind, this is a cluster of machines and the users are not just a single person running a query. There's like 10, 20, 100 or more users that fire queries at it all the time. So the cluster needs to take that whole brunt of processing all these queries at the same time as fast as possible. So that parallelization within the JVM is also very important. And the yeah, JVM and is awesome. It's super fast. We're running on the latest 17 and it's really good. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, you know, some people are inclined to think, well, Java's slower than like a lower level language where you can manually manage things. And it's not really. Um, there's efforts to port Trino into C++, I think, going on. But like the performance improvements are pretty marginal. Automatic garbage collection and the Java compiler are both really good um yeah also and the upside of writing code in java is that it's easier and far less error prone so um there's just oh. fewer ways to do things wrong that lead to problems down the line yeah also another advantage is obviously like what java is always perceived slower as is the startup time well Trina is a server application you start it up you let it run so it doesn't matter it stays um, online. You're not sitting just keeps up It down. keeps running, right? So whatever. And then while it's running, it's also optimizing on the fly, right? Like while, like it's learning from its its behavior. So, so far it's been good. So in summary, we can now say Trino is a ludicrously fast, open source, distributed, massively parallel processing, SQL query engine designed to query large data sets from one or more disparate data sources. And now you know what that even means. <laughs> yeah, our, our highlighted word soup has been explained. These terms all make sense to you. And you know what Trino does. You layer it on top of data, you run queries in SQL, and they go fast. Simple as that. Yeah, that's right. And of course, this slide <laughs> that goes into more details like use cases and stuff like that, but we're not going to... Um, burden you with that there's a lot more resources available you can find the trino website at trino.io you can find us on slack all the time to ask further questions and of course you know the trino community broadcast episodes are happening once a month at least and we'd always be happy to have newbies also join us for a chat on how they're going what their travel is we had uh people from all sorts of uh, experience from like you know deep in the weeds technical maintainers joining us and people that just learned how to write a connector and people just started getting to know use Trino and you're all welcome to join us and, and you know chat about your your gripes or your successes with Trino. All right. Well Manfred that brings us to the next section of this episode. Oh no, what is the next section called? How do we run this thing? How do we run this thing? Yeah. Uh, How do you run oh. Trino? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'll have to play around and show you some things. Let's make it happen. So as I mentioned earlier, 
this is the Trino website and this is Trino.io. You can find us here. Um, I mentioned earlier, here's a section of the users or companies that use Trino in production at various levels of scale. Um, and importantly for our demo today, there is this pink download Trino button right beside our mascot commander Ban Ban. And also there's the registration button for TrinoFest that we'll talk about later. Don't forget to press that button and register. But for now, we're pressing this download Trino button and you see there's a section of various different aspects. So we typically can run Trino in Kubernetes. That is something you do on production. I'm not gonna show you that today because we're gonna just do the minimal easiest thing that you can do locally. And that is either running Trino on a container or on a tarball locally. Yeah, what? if your DevOps are running these things at, at your company, you hopefully know what Kubernetes is. So we're going to try to explain how to run Trino for someone new to Trino, trying to get a feel for it, just to get a sense of what it's like, rather than a detailed guide on getting Trino up and running in your production environment right now. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea, Cool, Because as I mentioned, it gets pretty deep. And if you have to manage a thousand servers, it's automatically not going to be that easy as just yeah. running it locally on your laptop, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so let's concentrate on the first step, easy steps first. And the first easy steps are going to this website, pressing the Trino server tar.tz download and the Trino CLI download. I've done those already. So they are already uh, downloaded on my machine. I'm not going to show you how download works on a browser. You have done that before many times. Um, and then... You can read the Trino as a Docker container and do a first very easy try. For this one, you only need Docker. And all you need to really do is copy this command line here with this copy button. Well, what is Docker, Manfred? Docker? Okay, so <laughs> Docker. <laughs> all right, fine. We're going back to the basics. Um, Docker is a runtime environment that emulates uh, Linux server, the kernel part of it, and you can layer any sort of software on top in a, what's called a container um, that's kind of standardized. And in that container can be whatever you like as an application. Um, and in this case, we have a container that has Trino inside. And in order to run that Docker container, you either need Docker installed on a Linux machine, or you need something like Docker desktop or another software that allows you to run Docker containers. Um, any software developer today hopefully knows what that is uh, already. If not, you probably want to learn more about it. Um, Docker to download is free and easy to do. So I'll copy this command again. And in this case, I can just go to my any directory really, and I'll use this command. You can also add the specific version. So I want to do 418, the Trino release here. And that is a mistake because I already done this earlier today. So you already have it running. <laughs> I already had it running. So now I removed it again. So <laughs> um, I'm going to run this command and you see it was very quick. So it's already started now and is up and running. Um, this was so quick because I did it earlier today. If you uh, do it the first time, what it will do, it will be a little bit slower because it will have to download it. But then the uh, the display will be the same once it downloaded. And that doesn't really help you much, right? So what do you like Trino is running? It is because you can go Docker PS and you see that Trino is running. But where? How do you access it? Um, the trick is this here. 
is 8080 and the fact that Trino is a, is uh, exposing a web application. So in order to see Trino and grasp it, you need to either use the web application or what we'll do next is a client tool. So first let's look at the web application. And what this 8080 here does is it exposes the port, the web HTTP port 8080 from inside the Docker container to my laptop. So I just have to go localhost 8080, not 9000, that's different. That's for the presentation slide deck, <laughs> 8080. And there's my login. And now I have to log in and you'll be like, uh, I don't have a username. Doesn't matter because there's no authentication and no uh, TLS configured. We can just say anything. And so I'm gonna say Manfred and I can see that Trino is up and running. I see the version here. I see there's one active worker. So by default, it's configured to do worker and coordinate at the same time. And that's it. Not very exciting, right? You could see any finished queries, which there are none. And you can see the stats of the system. So we need to tweak and like throw something at it to work. So let's do that. There's multiple ways to uh, connect to Trino with a client application. The easiest one is the CLI. And you saw before. On the download Trino page. It's on right the download there. Trino page on the website, Trino CLI. And then what you do is you copy or move this file into, a f into your path. So in my case, I have a .bin folder and there is my Trino command and I made it executable. This is all documented on the website. It's literally three steps. Um, and then you can type the command Trino. And when I do that, I get a prompt. We're and running Trino. <laughs> for, so, so we're now, we're not running Trino. We are connected to Trino, right? Like Trino yeah. is, is right here sitting and waiting for me to tell it to do something. And I'm now connected with my CLI, so I can now tell it to do something. So I'm going to throw a first query edit that says show catalogs, which is show me what data sources are connected. And out of the box, this Docker container only has a few. Um, there's JMX that's for monitoring. Memory is a in-memory kind of mini database that goes away so you can put things into it, massage it around, but then when the Trino server shuts down, it's gone. System is literally just the information about the system itself. And then TPCS, TPCH and TPCDS are both test data source generators. So you can query that data to test and learn. Um, so uh, we can look at all of them. Let's look at the TPCH one. So I, you can go show schemas. So inside a catalog, it's always multiple schemas. So we go show schemas from TPCH and you see there's multiple. And then you go show tables from TPCH. For example, we look in this schema called tiny and we see now we have multiple tables. With all this, what you also saw in the background here, the finished queries, it was showing me. So, you know, it told me Manfred is connected with the Trino CLI and he ran this query show tables, right? And you can click on all of them and the UI will show you more details. This gets very technical. You don't need to worry about it. Um, 
it just basically tells you more stats on what it did mostly and you can use it as an advanced user for debugging and testing and learning more but for you as a beginner as long as it works you're good right so now we know what we could theoretically query so we can write a first actual sql statement that is like select star from and now we have to go tpch right catalog dot tiny is like say the schema we're looking at and then nation right and you see again, it processed the data and then it brings us the result back here. And that's uh, that's a very simple way. Obviously you need to know SQL or SQL and the statements, which is a bit more tricky. You can, however, also fire up some other tool that understands SQL and can write queries. And uh, an easy one to do for that is for example, a tool called dBeaver. Um, there's many others around. And when you connect to dBeaver, you can just go create a new connection. We can look at this connection that I defined here. It basically just says, this is a Trino connection and the configuration is localhost at port 8080 and the, man, the name is Manfred. That's all there is to it. Um, dBeaver will automatically download the driver and all that kind of stuff. You don't have to worry about any of those details. Um, and you can configure more in the connection here. The advantage of doing that is um, now you can click around, right? So we can go, well, what's this system thing? Oh, look at all these different schemas here. Let's look at the runtime schema. Oh, that has many tables. Let's see what tables are. Oh, there's nodes. What does the node tables contain? Oh, look at that. There is one node. Oh yeah, that's the node that we're running at, right? Like. And if there's a cluster of a thousand machines, well, that'd be a thousand and so on, right? You can go, what queries? These are the queries we ran with more information, right? And you see, it also shows us the queries that we ran from dBeaver now, right? Like all these source Trino JDBC are from the JDBC driver that's inside dBeaver and allows you to query those tables. And that's it already, right? So super easy. And now you can learn a lot of SQL statements by, you know, looking at the documentation here in Trino, right? Like you can go to the Trino website, go to docs. And then you see here, there's a SQL language, sequence statement segments and the functions and operators. So you can look at what sort of operations are, what the data types are, and then learn a lot more about the language itself, all the different statements and look up if you find some sort of like general SQL tutorial, this will show you the exact details, but most things will work um, because Trino adheres to the ANSI SQL standard as much as possible. Um, it's very close to it. So any kind of standard training. Another system that adheres to that very closely is PostgreSQL. So there's often a, a good chance that if there's a query that runs nicely on PostgreSQL with the same data source, it'll work on Trino as well, or at least be very similar. So that's, that's maybe a tip for learning SQL with Trino, and we'll probably do another session another day. So that's yeah, how you can really emphasize as well is that for databases that are a little less standard, usually there is a way to translate it. You might have to rewrite a query sometimes, yeah. um, depending on what's going on and what the non-standard feature is. But we try to yeah. adhere to the standard, but also make sure everything is possible, including the non-standard things that other databases like to implement.
Yeah, uh, specifically, we try very hard. Others don't try so hard. They like to do their own thing. <laughs> it's like, oh, that keywords. That's fine. <laughs> exactly. And then there's functions and operators. There is a lot of built-in functionality for all sorts of things from simple string manipulation and casting to different values, like to different data types, all the way to JSON parsing and all sorts of stuff. So as you can see here, there's a large overview and even just the date and time functions here have all sorts of things, right? So current date, current time, time zone management, all, there's lots of functionality in here, but we'll probably do a tour another day. And that is how you run Trino in a dog container. And what I can do now is I'll go exit here and I'll go Docker PS. And I can stop this container by just going copy this identifier and go Docker. Docker stop. That's it. So that's one easy way to run it. Typically in production, if you want to use the Docker container, you would use the Kubernetes setup. Another even easier way to some degree to run it is to use what's called the tarball, which is that tar to set file. So if I go to my, my training directory, you basically get this tar to set file and then you extract that file and then you get a directory structure like Pino server for 18. And the only thing you're not getting is this etc folder. That's the configuration sort of setup. The easiest way to get that configuration is to, uh, there's two ways. Either you look at the docs and I'm going to go to installation, deploying Trino, and you build the files as it is described in this section here. The other way is you download the Trino Definitive Guide book from uh, Starburst for free. Um, and then you can read up in there um, and also in general find on GitHub that there's a repository for in our uh, TrinoDB organization called the, the, definitive, the definitive Guide. And this repository has a fully configured directory structure. And as you can see here, there's just a config properties file. That's the general configuration, a JVM configuration file that configures the Java virtual machine, a log file that's basically empty and a node properties file that just defines the name of this node. And then a couple of catalogs. And you see these are different catalog files. Each one of them are very simple. And all I did is I copied that into my directory here. So um, if you go tree Etsy, See, there's those same files, right? Config properties, JVM, log, and node. The only thing you want to potentially adjust is this config one. If you go cut Etsy, uh, JVM config, the main one here that you need to adjust is the memory value. The bigger your machine, the more you, you want to give this uh, Trino server to run. Four gigabyte is like super tiny and won't be managing much but my laptop is also not that grunty. So uh, doing a live broadcast and other things doesn't allow me to, to pump this value up that much more. But for the easy use cases or for learning a bit of SQL, that's totally feasible. Yeah, and so something I want to highlight, by the way, is that we're having to get these configuration files manually included because 
that's how you set it up for manual running. But when you use it in the Docker container or you run it on Kubernetes, the image provided has this configuration in it already. It's a bare bones configuration. For actual business use cases, you'll need to do a lot more configuration. Like mm -hmm. if you remember earlier, we don't have any authentication. That's not a good idea if you're running something in production. So like you'll need to set up authentication sometime down the line to get things up and running for real real. Um, but for the basic setup, it's Docker has this configured already. If you use the tarball, then you just have to create these files and according to the docs, or as Maverick said, you can just download them from the guide and set them up. And either way, that gives you kind of this bare bones, rudimentally configured version of Trino that you can then run for queries just to get your feet wet and make sure it works. Exactly. And that's a, that's a good approach anyway, right? Like what you do is you, you start easy and you make sure that works for you and then you build it and make it more complex. One thing that you definitely want to do is uh, you want to add catalogs to the data sources you want to query. At the moment, if you look at the Etsy catalog directory, there's only these for Abyss, which is kind of like um, def null, where you can just pump things into it and it disappears. Uh, good for testing write queries because you write them to nowhere, basically. Um, brain is um, a memory connector catalog, so you can go cat brain, right? And like the configuration is literally a one-liner, super simple. Similar to TPCH one, it's also just a one-liner for the data source. And then monitor is the uh, JMX one. So the name... Keep in mind what these names are here, though. Abyss, Brain, Monitor, TPCH, because we can now fire up Trino and start it up from this tarball installation by going dot slash bin. There's a bin folder launcher. And I can press run. Before I do, though, I need to let you know that there's two things you need to have in place. You need to have Java 17 installed, so you need to be able to go Java minus minus version. Oh, no, actually minus version. And you see Java 17 here. That's a free install anyway. We recommend the Zulu OpenJDK version. Uh, very nicely supported and free for downloads. Good to go. And then also Python is required for the startup script. Any Python will probably much do um, that, whatever comes on the operating system. And the operating system, by the way, needs to be Linux. It also happens to work on Mac OS, but typically it has to be Linux for production usage. But for your local development, Linux will do. Um, if your local workstation slash development is Windows, that's no problem. You can install the Linux subsystem for, for Windows or whatever it's called, uh, and that works too. And then we can now go back to the dot slash, oops, dot slash bin launcher. And I'm gonna just do run instead of start because that'll show us how the thing actually starts up, right? So you see it goes, oh, there's my Java bootstrapping I need to do. And then it goes, blah, blah, blah. We're starting up, finding all the configuration parameters, starting up the web server, loading all the plugins. And then we are started. And then now we are back where we were before, right? So we can, now again, go localhost, right? And there's my, and now I can log in as call. I can pretend to be you, haha. <laughs> it looks the same, but it's different this time. This is it's the, the same, but it's different. Exactly. <laughs> so it, it it runs differently, but you see here, it started, it's been running for 35 hot seconds. And it also has again, one 
work uh, in this running. And I can again do the same thing in eBeaver if I say con disconnect and then connect again because it's now different, right? So, and you see it loads all sorts of stuff. So it from the start files a whole bunch of queries added and goes, what's all the stuff that's in here and goes all excited. And you see now it found abyss and brain and monitor and sample. And again, so we can go it like, again, our runtime tables and see what's there, right? So there's all sorts of things, nodes, queries, tasks. And just explore more and, and write our same SQL query statements again. And that's that's how you run Trino and get started with it and learn SQL statements and, and start playing around with it. How's that cool? I think that was a good demo. Cool. I didn't even practice that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you may have walked people through this once or twice before. So Yeah, you might be right about that. <laughs> so... Uh... Also worth pointing out, um, we're using the Trino CLI. There are other clients for Trino. Um, there is a Trino Go client uh, written by Jan, uh, who we featured earlier with a comment. There is a Trino Python client. Um, both can be found on GitHub. Um, I think it's just Trino Python client is what it's called. And Trino yeah. Go client, are those are their names. So, you know, search those up and they'll pop right up. Um, there are a couple third-party Python clients uh, being featured at TrinoFest uh, that are coming right around the corner. So tune in there if you want to hear more about those. Um, well, there's like full-on full on applications, right? Yes. Like, like Apache Superset, for example, a very prevalent and widely used, very nice visualization tool, just happens to use SQL client and then the uh, Trino Python inside it. And yes, Jan is correcting us. The Go client is a driver, which is like a universal client. And you need to basically write your Java or Go or whatever application. And when it comes to Java, it's the same idea, right? Like DBeaver that we showed is a Java application that uses the driver slash client JDBC driver that we also saw on the download page on the website. Yeah, and then finally, on the totally commercial side of things, which are not at all beginner or user-friendly because they cost money, uh, there is Starburst Galaxy and AWS Athena, which both run Trino in the cloud as a service. Um, so if you are at a company and your goal is, I just want to get Trino up and running and I don't want to have to bother with it myself, you can go throw money at Starburst or Amazon and uh, they will happily provide you with managed Trino services that run Trino. It's the same software, just managed by a company on a, on a cloud. Um, so that can make life even easier. Uh, and of course, both platforms have some proprietary improvements and extra bells and whistles that they try to sell you on. So, you know, go make an informed decision or manage it yourself. Up to you. Um, yeah, also Starburst also offers Starburst Enterprise. So you can yeah. still, if you really want to have all the pain of managing the whole servers and everything, then you still can do that with Starburst Enterprise as well. And you get lots of cool features and security enhancements and that kind of stuff. And arguably lots of companies need to do that, right? Yeah, so different options. It's important to at least mention them. Uh, in any case, we are now going to, oh, 
beyond with a starburst free tier yeah so if you do want to get started with starburst galaxy you can do it that way actually that's i didn't know that there was free tier what do you know yeah starburst galaxy you can just like create an account log in and play okay well there you go uh in any case we are now going to move on to one final uh section of this episode Dualizing. How can you contribute to Trino? We've mentioned it's open source. You can just go write code. But the question remains, how do you go about doing that? Um, how do you know how to do that even, Cole? How do I know how to do that? Yeah. Well, okay, hold on. Let me go pull up a tab real quick. If we go to the Trino website. Have you done this before, Cole? Yes. There is this very handy page called the contribution process. And this is a very technical, uh, not the most user-friendly or encouraging guide of everything that you need to do to contribute to Trino. Um, but what we want to do today is kind of walk through each of these steps and provide a little bit more of a human aspect to them for those who are unfamiliar with open source culture, unfamiliar with contributing open source code, um, and the things that are kind of implicit or that could be inferred, but maybe aren't quite as overt as they could be. Um, part of my job in the Trino community is to make the contribution process as easy and painless as possible. We as Trino developer advocates and stewards of the project want it to be simple. Like the easier, simpler, better it is to write code that gets into Trino, the more people will have writing code to do that and the better Trino will get as a result. Um, so, step one, Manfred, sign the CLA. Basically, download a form, put your email address and other things in there, and tell us that you're okay to do that. Specifically, that's important because sometimes your employer will not be okay with doing that. But on your spare time, you can do whatever you want. So, you just it's, need to basically say, I'm doing this because I'm allowed to do this. Yeah, and it's it's saying I'm not like stealing code from somewhere else and committing massive copywriter intellectual property theft. Yeah. And everything's fine. Um, yeah, the code still stays yours, and we just share the code basically, and yeah. the license to distribute it and give it to others. Open Step source. two: uh, It says start a discussion by creating a GitHub issue or asking on Slack. Um, I would translate this to make sure the change is actually wanted. Um, you know, like some light changes are are pretty obviously good. You know, if there's a bug that needs fixing, just go fix the bug. Um, if there is a typo in the documentation. Go fix that typo. Um, that needs fixing. It's self-evident. You don't need to like go spin up an entire conversation. If you are trying to add a brand new batch of core functionality that adds new SQL syntax, changes the way the engine works, and overhauls a few things, that's when you want to have a conversation about, is this wanted? Because what we don't want to have happen is you put in a lot of time and effort and work to make a thing that isn't aligned with the vision of the Trino project by its maintainers and core development team. Um, it's open source and open to contribution, but that doesn't mean because you wrote it, it will be merged. Um, so it's better to have these discussions before you sink a ton of time and effort into writing a bunch of code than after. Um, and we'll usually be pretty responsive. Um, issues can be a little hit or miss just because monitoring GitHub issues when there's thousands of them. Uh, can be a bit of a mess. We're working on maybe cleaning those up sometime in the near future, but there's no maybe. We are going to do this. Yeah, we're, we're going I know to. you don't want to, but we are going to do this. It's 
not done yet. And you know, it's it's a little bit like throwing it onto a giant mountain. So don't don't bank on issues being paid too too much attention to. Um, but if you go in Slack, ask questions, um, we'll try and get you responses, and we can make sure that before you go add new functionality or change functionality, um, that that's something that will work in Trino. Once you've got the green light and you're sure you're not going to be wasting your time or barking up the wrong tree, you can go code your change. Um, there's a lot of tutorials in the Trino repo. There's a readme file and a development file that tell you how to get set up to write code in Trino. Um, strongly recommend the IntelliJ IDE uh, for writing code in Java. It's it's just better. Um, this is hard for me to say as I learned how to write Java code in Eclipse, but don't use Eclipse. <laughs> Can you still use Eclipse even? I don't know. It's like, is it still around? I guess it's still around. <laughs> it is. Yeah, no, it's 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 not getting any better though. <laughs> uh, yeah, because no one maintains it. Fair enough. Yeah. But so write your code. Um, if you need feedback, you can put up a draft pull request with a work in progress tag and people will be happy to provide comments. Um, I've always said sometimes that if you're not sure how to go about doing a thing, the best way to get an answer is to try and be wrong. Um, it's it's quite simple to get answers to questions when people see that you've done it wrong and want to correct you. There's just something about human nature that likes correcting people. So I'm always a fan of, you know, taking a shot, taking a stab and being willing to be wrong. And the work in progress tag means that you can't get blamed for it. No one can get mad at you. It's a work in progress. Like, sure, it's wrong, but you're going to fix it anyway. So uh, don't don't be afraid is is kind of my point here. No one's going to be offended or bothered or, or angry at you if something isn't quite perfect on the first pass. Um Done is better than perfect in a lot of situations. And then it's the maintainers and reviewers' job to get us as close to perfect as we need to be comfortable merging it. So it's a collaborative effort. Um, you don't need to be the god engineer who's writing just the most beautiful code of all time. You do need to write tests, though. Please test your code. We like tests. Tests are yeah. important. Do not try to open a pull request with untested code. It's That will get people at least a little upset. You'll just get a comment that says, please add tests, and they will not review anything else until you've done that. So, <laughs> Well, you know, like somehow we need to know it's actually working. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's as it turns out. And we need to make sure that we can maintain it in the future as well. If the test ever breaks, that's a sign that something needs to be fixed. Um, so yeah, create a GitHub pull request. Um, the pull request uh, template allows you to provide the relevant information. If you're doing something that's user-facing, then you can be asked to provide release notes. Um, and then just fill in all the info you think you need for people to review it. Um, the review process is not unlike the review process anywhere else, no matter where you work. You know, code needs to be reviewed and approved by someone else, unless you are truly just flying by the seat of your pants and pushing to prod without reviews, which case... Does happen. <laughs> it does, but that's not how it works. It shouldn't so. happen. That's not how we roll. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes you'll have reviewers that are just community reviewers. Um, anyone in the community can comment on a PR if they have something to say. Um, once it's been reviewed and iterated on, you'll address the feedback. More feedback might come in. And at some point of back and forth between reviewers asking for things to be changed or asking for explanations, you addressing that, pushing again, making sure your tests are all passing again. Uh, one of the Trino maintainers will come along, merge your PR. And then all that's left to do is wait for the release to come out and your change will be in Trino. Um, releases are usually weekly. So once you're merged, you're not going to be waiting much more than five or six days in the worst case scenario before your change is live and you can go update your version of Trino and your code will be part of it. 
And your GitHub profile will say that you merged something into Trino. That's yeah, cool. which is really exciting, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> so there's sometimes like questions about culture, like, is it okay if I go do this? And the answer is yes. Like, just go try. It's low stakes, right? You can't break anything, um, especially if you're not a very technical person or like you're trying to fix docs or like a typo or something. Um, there is no way to break the project by opening a pull request. Um, your code will only make it into Trino if it is good to go and a maintainer thinks it works. Um, there is no risk. There is no world in which like you get blacklisted from the project unless you like are being really mean to people. Um, but there's no like, wow, this is bad. Like leave and never come back. That's, that's not how it works. <laughs> that's never <laughs> happened before actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not, not even once. Uh, so no worries about that. Uh, Manfred, I, I think that was our concept of the episode. Yeah, but... um, I think my, my, my main call-out would be it is a bit overwhelming in the beginning, especially if you haven't done any like like work on GitHub and stuff like that. You need to know those kind of tools. Um, but if you're interested in software development or writing, these things are things that you already learned. Like my son literally learned how to use GitHub in, in high school. So if you're a developer or a writer, you probably hopefully know how to use these tools. And it might be a bit overwhelming. Don't be scared. Just go for it. And if you want some hand-holding or help, you can find us on Slack. Yep. And if you're not sure who to ask for a review, tag a couple people. If you're still not sure, find us. We'll find you reviewers. Um, That's right. Sometimes get blamed or to people who just aren't active in the project anymore. And it takes a little poking around to find someone who's who's technically spun up enough on what you're modifying to be able to give you a good review. So the process can be a little slow at times. It's not because we're angry or because of any issues. It's just open source isn't always the super fastest. You don't just have that coworker sitting next to you that you can bother to get you a code review immediately. Um, also, there is a lot going on. Like every yeah. see with every release, we have a lot of pull requests, a lot of changes and improvements coming all the time. And we have to split our time. <laughs> But we're working towards making it as close to that as possible. Our goal is that eventually it will feel like, you know, one of your coworkers is just hopping into review. So, Well, should we yeah. talk about a success story of a pull request? Yeah, I mean, this one actually took a while too, but... It is a success story though. Yeah. And, you know, that pull request competes with us in terms of acute bunny or mascot yeah i i'll pull up their website at the end of this uh you can see the sentences they have a great mascot but so uh nessie uh is a transactional catalog that's designed for use with data lakes i'm, I'm reading my writing but it was good this is a good overview of what what it is uh, <laughs> uh so it works with iceberg specifically uh in the trino ecosystem and the the key selling point of nessie is that you have version control that works very similarly to Git, where you can see every revision, revert every revision, see who made the revisions. The data is just incredibly versioned uh, in a way that makes it so that you can always roll back to whatever you need to. You can always see what's been changing on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, there is no loss of knowledge or information at any point. Um, and there's a ton of control over how you can access that data. Um, so as I command click it, it opens in a new tab. 
Uh, we have support for Nessie in our Iceberg Connector in Trino. Um, this PR took a while, which, as I was saying, sometimes it takes a while. Um, but it's it's a huge PR. It's, it's a it's, big PR. It's 1,600 lines of code. Big changes like this tend to take a lot of time and community buy-in before we're confident that we want them. But this adds it. I'm going to scroll through code, Manfred. What do you have to say about this? <laughs> I just want to give a high-level overview quickly. So um, when it says Nessie catalog in the Iceberg connector, so Iceberg is one of those collectors uh, where there's a table format, in this case, the Iceberg table format, and it contains some metadata, but you also need metadata in a separate system and that's called <clears throat> in the iceberg world it's called a catalog which overlaps with what we call a catalog which is the whole thing but anyway um and iceberg already supports the hive meta store there as a as a catalog it also supports the typical glue which is kind of like aws glue it also has two other systems rest and jdbc catalogs um, all of them have different pros and cons and levels of support and stuff. Nessie is another one that's arguably a, another choice that's very good as well. So um, it's good to have these choices and be able to select the best one for your use case. And that's why we wanted to get Nessie in. Yeah, and so it's just another way to access data. But I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't show off Nessie because this is just a great mascot. I, we need more of this in software. It's, it's just mascots that are adorable. Um, yeah, someone must have a Scottish background because like, <laughs> <laughs> it literally even has the funny hat on it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the Loch Ness Monster. It's it's from Loch Ness in Scotland. So yeah. uh, I just feel like it's important to point that out. Yeah. Um, so in any case, with the PR of the episode done, uh, we've mentioned Trino Fest what, like five or six times so far this episode. That's because we're excited. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah. So one final time, just to stress, Trino Fest, it's coming up in two weeks. Register to attend. We've got a great lineup of speakers that I am pulling up as we speak. Yeah, it's going to be a virtual event. So there's no like barrier to entry. It's free. Um, all you need to do is register and join in and uh, check out the sessions and you'll be able to uh, listen into the sessions, but there's also chat going on, so you can talk to the speakers after in the QA and talk to us with additional Goodness. questions you might have. And as you can see, Starvest is helping us host this event, which is awesome. Thank you so much. And the agenda is really cool. I, I feel like I, I need to correct. Shouldn't this say 10 a.m., Manfred? No. No? It's 12 p.m. and 4 p.m.? Yep. Easter. Oh, I have the time wrong. Okay. In any case, yes, the agenda. So we've hinted at talks, but these are the... Talk number two is Jan, who has helpfully been chiming in. He's going to talk about zero-cost reporting. Super interesting. Before him, Salesforce is talking about their production usage. Obviously, Salesforce, um, some of you might know the in-the-cloud CRM system of choice for everyone. They are using Trina internally. Then Ryan Blue from uh, Tabula, the iceberg company, uh, that's and he's one of the founders of the Apache Iceberg Project, has been on the Trino Community Broadcast before. He's going to talk about CDC patterns, which is going to be really awesome. I'm also especially excited about the next talk, which is about IBIS, because it's going to get Trino into the Python ecosystem. And later on, there's another talk about Fook, which also gets us into the Python ecosystem again. And then what else is uh, interesting there? Huh? There's other cool ones. What do you think, Cole? 
Uh, I am excited for both the Redis and the Bloomberg talks um, where we're going to be talking about new connectors in Trino. Um, so the Redis connector is, is the folks at Redis have made a Redis Trino connector that to be fair to them and maybe a little harsh to us, it, it kicks the default Redis connectors, but um, it's a better connector. Um, so it's improving that Trino Redis experience in substantive ways. Um, they're going to talk about how they've done that, how they're using it. Um, and I think there's a potential opportunity for that to end up merging into Trino as well, though we're still discussing that. So no promises there. Uh, and then let it snow for Trino. Uh, if you don't know or couldn't guess, that's going to be talking about a Snowflake connector for Trino. So if you've gotten your data stuck in Snowflake, Trino in the near future will be able to go query that for you, um, which will hopefully minimize some of those Snowflake costs because I think that's a thing that happens with Snowflake is data tends to get frozen in there every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and Trino opens it up in the sense that it lets things thaw and allow you to access other data sources as well. Also, I'm, I'm excited to hear about the Starburst Galaxy demo. It's great to see a product um, that sits on top of Trino used in production and like have real world uh, use cases and stuff like that. Kevin uh, from Shopify is also going to talk about uh, Trino. That's on, not Shopify. He's, uh, um, from Stripe. Stripe, sorry, Stripe, yeah, sorry. Shopify uses Stripe as a payment gateway, so yeah, they're they're friends. That's not even that bad of a mess up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Shopify is also a Trino user, and they presented in the past, so I'm I'm sort of half excused for messing up. Sorry, Kevin. Um, Kevin is from Stripe, and they use the iceberg format and has some really cool tips and tricks for anyone else that uses the iceberg format. Even if you're not using Trino yet, he will tell you why you should be using Trino with iceberg. There are some really good reasons, and that's going to be interesting. And then we also get a cool talk from Hope and Benan about the Alexio caching and stuff. And Ayush is also going to talk about cloud savings with Trino. So, yeah, so wide range of talks, some about saving time and money, some about new features coming to Trino, some about new ecosystem talks where Trino is going to be immersed in different Python. Uh, what was the word you used? It's not clients because it's better than clients. It's it's entire... It's a full ecosystem, right? Like yeah. ultimately Trino, we call, a, we call it an SQL query engine, right? But the Python ecosystem has its own sort of like way of doing things with the data frame API and other approaches. So you're not actually writing like SQL in some cases, you're writing Python. It then translates it to SQL under the hood and you don't know about that, but that's kind of besides the point. As a Python user in these ecosystems, um, sometimes you don't even need to worry about that and you're just writing like vanilla Python against an API. And that's that's a, a quite different, but also very interesting because obviously the Python ecosystem is huge. Most data analysts will know about it and play with it. And it also unlocks new use cases, but will find out more at the presentations yeah. on Trino Fest that you should register to. Yeah, so you can register for free. This is linked anywhere you look on the Trino website. You can't not find a button for it. Um, I think if I just go to Trino.io, you can see 
right here. This button will take you straight to that page. It's free to register. You give your information. You get a link to the live stream the day of. It's two days. Um, tune in. We'll also be publishing uh, blog recaps of every single talk at the event. So if you're busy that day or you miss something, there will be a video and a recap. So you will not miss out entirely if you want to get back to it some other time. But you do want to register because you get early access to it. And you, if, if you attend the event, you can talk to the speakers. And that's always a great And ask questions. There yeah, will be exactly. live Q&As. So. I think with that said, Manfred, that just about does it for us today. I think we've explored what Trino is, how we run Trino, how we contribute to Trino, and how we learn more about Trino at Trino Fest. So hopefully you found this video or this podcast useful, depending on whether you tuned in live or are tuning in later. Um, Trino Community Broadcast happens roughly once every month, though it'll be picking up in cadence in the next few months as all of our Trino Fest talks want to do a deeper dive on the Trino Community Broadcast in the in the coming weeks. So Stay tuned for more episode 50 just around the corner. We're going to have to do something a little special for that, Manfred. But yeah, you, me, and Commander Banban will be busy, busy bunnies. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's all good. That's why we love it. All right. Well, in any case, have a good one, everyone, and uh, we'll see you next time. Music for the show is from the Mega Man 6 gameplay album by Shishtaf Swabikowski. Don't forget to give us a star on the Trino repository at github.com forward slash TrinoDB forward slash Trino. And for more information on future shows and to find show notes, check out trino.io forward slash broadcast.